0: The Enter Sadmen Podcast: Every rock and metal album you should own, reviewed, rated, and ranked.
1: So, welcome along, everyone. This is episode six of Enter Sadmen, the Enter Sadmen Podcast. My name's Steve Davis, and um, my two buddies are alongside me, Rich and Mark, to uh, escort you down hard rock's memory lane in the quest to find our own heavy metal and hard rock hall of fame. We um, every week we re- we review, rate, and rank three albums that we think are among rock's finest. Um, and the uh, the idea ultimately is to have a definitive list of the greatest rock and hard hard rock and heavy metal albums that you should own. Um, and if you're listening to this, if you've listened to us already, then welcome back. If you're listening to the first time, then welcome along. Um, you'll know where we are, presumably, on either Spotify, Apple Podcasts or Podbean. Um, you can also take part in the show via Twitter by following us at EnterSadmen um, and we're on facebook as well enter sad men podcast we have a website um enter everything you want to know about the show and our views on all these albums i dare say you'll agree or disagree in equal measure and um you know there's plenty of room on there to stick your comments down have a chat about um what you think about the stuff we're talking about and uh, how we've got it spectacularly wrong all right who knows um so yeah this is episode six and tonight. Um, well, we're stepping it up a notch. We're going into the um, into the territory of thrash, thrash metal for the first time, or at least a show that's completely dedicated to thrash, um, which I would imagine Mark is um, was pretty much in stark contrast to what we did last week, is it not? <laughs>
2: I don't think you could get more different, could you? Um, last week, last week we had the ladies in, didn't we? And um, I, I really enjoyed that show actually because it was. Um, Rediscovered Girl School and um, how good that album is, and uh, rediscovered why I never bothered to listen really to Vixen beyond <laughs> two spins of it on a turntable. No, I mean, yeah, it was uh, in my view, it was it was, it was all right, but um, and I know I know you were deeply hurt, Steve, <laughs> that we didn't all rave about it. Um, but of course, the big thing last week was um, the big discovery, wasn't it? It was Phantom Blue. I mean, who knew? Well, I mean, there would be some people who knew, but I didn't. Wow, what a great album that was, wasn't it, Richard? You you found them, didn't you?
3: I, I, well, I'm still I'm still playing I'm still playing "Time to Run," <laughs> even now. It's a it's a, it's on my it's on my Spotify playlists. Um, yeah, I've I've gone back I've gone back since and uh, and given another well spin if you can spin YouTube. Um, I think we need to start up a campaign to uh, get the uh, Record company to uh, reissue it, or at least uh, put it onto uh, onto Spotify. But yeah, yeah, it was um, it was a great discovery, and I think yeah, the the the, the three albums I really enjoyed listening to all, all three of them, discovering them. Um, yeah, so, well, does does the same go for this week? Yes, I yes I have enjoyed it. I've laughed out loud. I think what's lovely about what we're doing is um, it, it's a complete journey of discovery for me. Into some of these these bands that I've heard of, but not really focused on the music, and then some bands um, I, I just really in, didn't really know about at all. This week could not be
1: yeah. any different. It's going to be it's, it's far classier than that, and it, the, the, the honour falls to me to introduce these three albums because these two plebs have decided that um, that I'm uh, I'm I'm more of an authority on this than they are, which is complete nonsense. But all I would say is that. I'm yet to hear what they think about these albums but I know I probably like them a lot more that's all I'm going to say so the three albums we're looking back at tonight I'm going to do this in reverse order we're going to finish off with the 1992 offering from Testament The Ritual then we're going to go back three years back to 1989 for Overkill's The Years of Decay and we're going to start this beast of a show with Flotsam and Jetsam's debut album Doomsday for the Deceiver
0: Opening album sleeve notes.
2: So here we are, episode six. It is the Caught in a Mosh episode. And we're starting off with, well, I'm not going to spoil it for people who don't know about Flotsam and Jetsam, their famous member. Uh, I'm sure you'll get to that, Steve. Steve chose this album, Flotsam and Jetsam's first album, their debut album, um, Doomsday for the Deceiver. This is not for the faint-hearted, is it, Steve?
1: It certainly isn't. No, it's not. It's, um, it's an absolute core of an album. And I think it's probably worth me pointing out that um, the three bands we've chosen tonight, Flotsam and Jetsam, Testament and Overkill, three almighty thrash bands. And if you're beginning to wonder if this is the first time we've dipped our toes into the murky water of thrash metal and we haven't done Metallica, Megadeth, anthrax slayer or any other big boys um the so-called they are the so-called big four stupid name i'll come to that in a minute but we, we we kind of thought well we will do we'll come to that and i don't know whether we did it deliberately or not or by accident or not but we found out we wound up doing three different albums three different bands and that's fine that's absolutely fine by me the big four will come you know we could do a show on its own with metallica can we not but i, I mean i don't even like the, the the idea of a big four it's like it's like the Premier League and it's Big Six or Big Five or, you know, Big Seven. Or Do you count Leicester these days? Do you not count Chelsea? I don't know. It's, it's you, You've got to have a big number. And um, I just find it boring because this album to me, this has not been a voyage of discovery for me. This has not even been a, a journey of rediscovery. Doomsday for the Deceiver has been a bedfellow of mine for 34 years. And I would have this album above anything that Slayer have, have ever done. I'd have it above pretty much everything that Megadeth have ever done and if I was it would be up there with Ride the Lightning it would be up there with Among the Living we'll leave Metallica at that notch higher but it's it's right up there it's it's a phenomenal album and as I say so this has been an it was the only one I was ever going to go to first up and it's been an absolute pleasure so released on July 4 1986 Metal Blade Records I have it in my hand I'm so proud it's a beautiful thing. Oh, by the way, Doomsday for the Deceiver. I mean, is that not just a great title for a record? It's an absolute banger. And I guess I would well, I don't guess, I know, I would have been persuaded to buy this thing on the basis of that famous Kerrang review, that famous Kerrang 6K review <laughs> that it got, which for those of you who don't know, <laughs> Kerrang only goes up to five with its Ks, and it gave this bitch six. So if that That's doesn't take you into a record shot, nothing ever could. I was looking through our scores, looking through the scores we've given for every album, including the albums we love, and I'm thinking of footballers who give 110%, and I'm thinking all these things, you know, it is possible to go above. But, you know, Led Zeppelin 4, which is the top of our list so far, greatest album ever, possibly, and that's scoring 8.5 between the three of us out of 10. But this, no, this got 6Ks out of 5. That's how good it is. Now, the cynic in me thinks that... um, I don't know who wrote it. I've tried to look, and you'll be disappointed, boys, because I've tried to look, because I can't find it online. I was trying to find the review. I've got kerangs upstairs in the attic. I went up there, tried to have a look. Richard, you'll hate me for it, because they're not in chronological order. It, it, was, a, it was a minefield <laughs> up there, it was a wildfire. Um, and I couldn't find it, so I'm gutted. So I don't know what they said. My hunch is that the editor said to whoever, it, what was it, Malcolm Dome? I don't know. The editor said, right, you've got an hour till til deadline. Listen to this once and tell me what you think. And he's been blown away. The hyperbole has flowed and he's given it a 6K review. Even more cynically than that, and we're listening right now to Hammerhead. We listen to these as we talk through this, and we've got the opening track on now, Hammerhead, which is standalone, one of the single great thrash out tracks of all time. What I would say there's nine tracks on this album, and eight of them suffer for having to follow Hammerhead. It is an astonishing, titanic piece of work. So my, the, the cynic in me thinks that whoever the Keranga author was says, you haven't got an hour, you've got six minutes, 15 seconds, just play the first bloody track and use that as a template for the rest of it. Go review. And he thought, this is astonishing, because I'm listening to Hammerhead now and I'm getting goosebumps yet again. It's an, it's an extraordinary track. Flotsman Jetson from Arizona started off in the mid-'80s as something called Paradox, put together by the band's original drummer, Kelly Smith, and the bass player, a man called Jason Newstead, more of later they became dreadlocks with an x then dogs with a z and i'm not making any of this up and then at some point they settled for flotsam injection the original lineup was completed 1984 with the addition of michael gilbert who was 17 at the time and if you look at the back cover of the album he looks about three i mean can you imagine being a 17 year old and getting the chance to play in um in a heavy metal band. I mean, it's just the stuff of dreams, isn't it? Now, Smith, the drummer, the the brains behind it all, was a a Neil Peart man as a drummer. And um, he was obviously acutely aware of all the thrash that was going on around the scene at the moment and the arrival of Metallica and Megadeth and all these boys. But he didn't want to go down that super-fast route. He says he he was encouraged down it, definitely, by the the kids around him who were definitely far more full-on. And their Metal Shock demo, which came out before this, and that kind it was very fast... And that kind of set the tone um, for what is this album, Doomsday, which was, well, the best thing I can say about Doomsday, beyond the obvious, and my hyperbole will, will resonate throughout this chat we have. But a quote from Jason Newstead I love. He says, Everybody just went in and they played their parts, in tune or out of tune, as you can hear. It was about the feeling, and the charisma carried us. So set against that, you think, and they, only, they did it for a some sum of about five grand, and they did it in a week. So you're thinking, what, well, it's bound to be crap, right? Couldn't be further from the truth. It's it's a full-scale thrash album. I've heard it called Speed Metal. I've heard it called Thrash Speed. I've heard it called Melodic Speed Thrash. All apply many more names you can add to that to describe this absolute beast of a slab of vinyl that absolutely stands the test of the time. And I know, because as I say, I've been listening to it for 34 years. I haven't tired of it yet. The floor, my friends, is yours. <laughs>
2: Go on, Richard. You, you're waiting. You, I can see you're all you're, you're tightly wound like a spring. There.
3: No, no. I, I um, <laughs> I just wish I'd been more enthusiastic about moving pictures. <laughs> you know, <it's>, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I didn't. I, I, I didn't realise this was a sales pitch. Well, that's what I'm saying. Because jo- joking aside, you know, first impressions. I think
2: my first, if I'm being absolutely honest, my first uh, thought. When I put it on, was um, now I remember why I didn't listen to it very much afterwards. Um, but but I think uh, no, I think that one of the things about what we're doing at the moment is that we have to listen to these. We have to give them a proper, fair listen over a number of plays. And as with previous albums, over the last six episodes, five five and. A course or whatever episodes, I found myself really warming, really warming to them. What I would say about certainly about this album, Doomsday for the Deceiver, and also the Years of Decay. In previous episodes of this this show, we've talked about albums being sort of a, a tale of two halves. I actually think both these albums get better as they go on. I struggle with music that is played played at lightning speed. And I think both of these bands are better when they're more measured. Both the, both Flotsam and Jetsam and Overkill are better when they're more measured. So, for example, we're listening to Iron Tears at the moment, which I think is a better... You'll disagree, Steve, for, for reasons I completely understand, but I think this is a better song than Hammerhead because it is a bit more restrained and a bit more controlled. And I think that the, the highlights of this album, for me, are the ones where they have just taken a breath, and and not gone for the obvious 200 miles an hour, kind of all-out, balls-out attack, and they've actually become a bit more considered. But I completely understand why you love it for what it is, totally.
1: This album is not without flaw. It's been written with a passion, with an intensity. It's clever. They're young boys, and they've really put together some good stuff here. All those solos, all the bridges and the pauses, the harmonies, the vocal harmonies, because I know that Eric A.K.'s voice... Is definitely not everyone's cup of tea. And uh, interesting, one of the one of the big things tonight, noticeably, is we have got three vocalists who <laughs> you can you can you can query all three. We, but that's not unusual in in thrash circles that they all sound like they're not great singers, and they're not, and it's not what it's about. And and I know that. And Eric A.K.'s voice, I know it grinds people up the wrong way, but I think it's perfect. But what I do like is the harmonies, the occasional worded harmonies, the little staccato punctuated arrivals of, of backing vocals from different people and it's and it works so well I've already I've already decided you know what my song is at my funeral it's um sugar mice by Merillium but somehow and this is your editing skills mark I want you to fit in three of the absolute snatch phrases from this album that when you play them you absolutely adore them and it is and you've got to listen to them over and over again to appreciate why I love them' so much it's hammerhead baby when the the, the in that in the first track it's a living nightmare which we're listening to now in desecrator and the best of all when they get to ulsw when they say poison me snakes that bite and i want that sum out. they're on my headstone they're just great phrases And, and the way they snap them out and spit them out it's it's all part of the this whole mix which is um this album's far more layered and complex I think, and I think I'm probably giving you that impression. With the
3: comments you've just made, I completely agree with you. It is it is very layered. It is very complex. Technically, it's amazing. The musicianship in terms of you know, the, the the speed with which they're playing, the changes in tempo, as you say, the bridges, the solos, I mean, it's incredibly well uh, put together. And I think, I mean, your point about, about singing and singers, I think there are... Examples in all three of these albums, I mean, Testament, I think his singing is great throughout, but on both um, Overkill and, and Flotsam and Jetsam, there are snatches where you realize actually these guys can sing. So why are they screeching the rest of the time? But I think it's because of what this genre is about, about what this sound is, the, the, the anger and the speed and the, and the energy, you know, the, you can see, you can see some of the punk influences as well as the, you know, the heavy metal and the Motheads and the maidens and all of that kind of stuff coming in. So, yeah, I think it's been, for me, it's been an increasing education. I mean, I'm a Rush fan, so I'm, I'm going to be into melody. Three million miles an hour, I struggle. So the, the tracks I think I have liked most are those that do have some, you know, changes in tempo. I think on both this and the Overcome to overkill in a bit, the, the songs that, that are perhaps a bit slower, but is, I've really enjoyed it. And like I can say that all, all three of these albums, this one included, the more I have listened to them, the more they have grown on me. You know, you absolutely no doubt about, the, the talent of these guys, with with ham- going back to Hammerhead, that first minute and a half, Jason's calling card was such an amazing bass player, and no wonder he was hacked off when he then you know left these, joined Metallica, and they completely faded his entire bass out of uh, justice. I've really enjoyed it. I've really, i really, really enjoyed uh, listening to to these albums.
2: So I think it's interesting that that I said I think they're better when they're slower. And what you heard, Steve, was, I hate this album. I don't. I, I really like this album. And what I was trying to say was that back when it was first released, when I first heard it, so, you know, 34 years ago, when I was a, a mere whippersnapper of 21, I think, inevitably, when you're young, your your musical tastes tend to be quite shallow and you're also as a kid you're very judgmental about what you're hearing you know everything's disposable it's bite size i haven't got time to listen to shit so you know they come in at 100 miles an hour and i yeah you know, in my 21 year old mind i've already formed an opinion about what this band is and i've decided that i don't really want to listen to music played at 200 miles an hour
1: i couldn't agree more yeah i mean it's it's actually a very well constructed album in terms of where they mm. place all the tracks because i mean to, to my mind hammerhead is such a great kickoff and then you've got that that breadbasket, those three sub-four-minute absolute barnstormers in Iron Tears, Desecrator and, and Fade to Black. Then you hit the backbone of the album, which for those of us who remember vinyl, that's the last track on side one and the first track on side two, or for the Spotify generation, tracks five and six. And this is five now, Doomsday for the Deceiver, which is, um, you know, yeah, it's speed metal. But this, this, is, this is a wonderful illustration of the... Of the maturity they were doing. What I do like about this is, if you listen to it, one of the great things about when they go fast, and yeah, they're 200 miles an hour quite often, but there are periods of this where they go 300 miles an hour, and you can actually hear Eric, AK, he can barely keep up. He's almost gabbling his way through the verses, trying to keep up with the pace of the of the of the rhythm that's going on behind him. And they ain't going to stop. He's got to play keep up. It's 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 awesome. But again, it's it's you know what is it? A nine minute track, and it's um. it's an illustration of packing an awful lot in you know it's a thoughtful intro in comes the speed you know you've got solos to come and the bridges and everything and it's all in there and it's um it's written by a a lot of more experienced bands will never write an album as good as a thrash album as good as this I think that's certain I mean you made the point earlier that if, if you've not played this much you have to keep going at it and which is what you should do with most albums anyway isn't it i mean most of them work on different levels this isn't as simple as you immediately think it's just a million miles an hour end off because it's far from that
3: it's been good for me to actually just sit and listen to this stuff without anything else going on because it's not something you can just have in have on in the background is it there are so many notes there are so so many instruments what you've got is this amount of information flooding in your ears and you have to just sit there and do nothing else and take it all in. And I think if you don't, if you're doing something else, that's when it just becomes a racket.
2: I think that's a really good point because there are quite a number of moments in this album where there's a time change or something happens and it brings you back to it. So you, like, for example, I you know I might be, I don't know walking the dog, or you know, I might be mucking out a horse, or doing something while I'm listening to this, and it becomes it becomes a it becomes wallpaper after a while if you're not concentrating, and then something happens and it brings you back and you think, oh, that's interesting, and and what you were saying, Richard, about about Rush and the fact that you wish you'd been more enthusiastic about Rush, I find it quite interesting that with Rush it is almost impossible to turn off. It, it never becomes wallpaper because there's always something new happening. And I think part of the problem that Thrash has, generically, I'm not necessarily talking about just this album, but I think part of the problem that Thrash has is that because it's there's a tendency for it to just do one thing, and I'm definitely not talking about this album now, but there are a lot of albums where it starts and nothing much happens for eight minutes. And that's when it becomes wallpaper. That's when you just go, you suddenly go, oh, uh, I finished what I was doing and I've missed half the album because there wasn't enough to keep me interested. There's loads of stuff that's interesting in this album.
3: Yeah, we're just, um, I mean, just listen to Metal Shock and, and, and this, the second half is so much more melodic. You know, the the, the break with, or oh, Jace almost gets a bit of a bass solo in, that there are a lot more movements uh, to, to this song.
2: Okay, Okay. now you're wasting time talking over the best track on the album.
1: Oh, I wondered what was coming, yeah.
2: So this is uh, She Took an Axe. Do you know what I love about this track? And I really, really love this track. I really love it. The first time I listened to this album, I actually had to stop what I was doing for the entire song and just listen to it, right? And what I love about it is they've taken a rope rhyme and turned it into a thrash metal song. It's genius, it's absolutely genius. And not only that, it's about one of the great murder mysteries of all time. What's not to like? It's fantastic. And the, the, the chorus, the chorus is brilliant.
1: I love yeah. this. Oh, the nursery rhyme.
2: Yeah. And, sto- and what was the story? The story, Lizzie Borden. So uh, late, late 19th century, Lizzie Borden... Um, and her sister living with her parents uh, in, I think, one of the northern American states. And they found, the, the authorities found her parents hacked to death. And they, the, the, Lizzie Borden was always considered the prime suspect, but they never proved it. So yeah, it became a, a jump rope rhyme. But there's a whole load of stuff, kind of load of child abuse issues wrapped up in it and the fact that there was this really dodgy property deal that lizzie borden and her sister did with her father their father where they bought the property from him for like a dollar and then sold it back to him for the equivalent of five grand or something and then there was a visitor to the house the night that her parents died uh, or were murdered and the theory is that their father was planning on selling the property out from under them. And that's what tipped them over the edge. But yeah, she was never she was never found guilty, was never proven. Um, it's a great story. One of the great yeah. unsolved mysteries. But if you go on if you go online and have a look, they've got photographs of the bodies and
1: everything. It's just And incidentally that's the skipping rope rhyme, is it? Lizzie Borden took an axe and gave her father forty wax. Is that
2: Lizzie Borden took an axe, gave her mother forty wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41.
1: forty-one. Yeah, and Hitler still to come. At that point, we should probably um, we should probably ask highs and lows. I'd be amazed if you can find any lows, but between you, you're going to have to try. So, um, Richard,
3: the lows for me: Fate to Black and Der Führer for, for all for the Führer for all of the um, uh, fun of it. Just fast, fast, fast and uh and lots of Zeke's tiles Hile, Zeke and yeah, fine. If I fade to black, I don't know, just didn't really uh do it for me. In terms of the highs, I think it's between this, she took an axe and hammerhead. Mark.
2: So my let well let's start with the let's start with the lower. I think for me that is defur, uh for all for the same reasons actually. Yeah, on one level it's it's you know, kinda of quite good fun. But yeah, you know, I find it slightly uncomfortable to listen to now. Yeah, and that might just be my kind of you know, liberal kind of leanings or whatever. But but also musically, it doesn't do much for me. So that would be my that would be my low. I think my highs. Well, my highs would be between the title track and she took an axe. But it, it's it's She took an axe. Yeah, it was just I was in seventh heaven listening to that. It was great. What about you?
1: Death Fuhrer is saved by. That wonderful guitar intro from from Michael Gilbert, there's some sort of effects pedal thing going on there. It's just demonic and it and it's nasty and it's but it's slow and it's a beautiful one of three really really strong guitar intros they've got on this album, you know Metal Shock and Doomsday as well. And so that just that just redeems that. So if there is a low point, I'd probably say Iron Tears just because it's just not sensational like the rest of them. But um, yeah, highs for me. Um, obviously, I love that sort of breadbasket of Doomsday and Metal Shock, but Hammerhead all day long. As I said at the start, it's one of the, one of, well, one of my, one of the, one of my, same thing, isn't it? Great thrash tracks, standalone tracks. And, uh, yeah, I stand by that. So, yeah, that's a, it's, I've given it a 10 out of 10, and there aren't many tracks that I've given that to thus far, and nor will there be in the future. But that's that's the reverence with which I, uh, with which I hold that piece of work. So, yeah. So, boys, that's been um, that's been a blast. Probably a bigger blast for me than it was for you, but it's been an absolute blast. And um, my work is done. We shall move on.
3: Why did you choose this as your favourite all-time album? Because it isn't. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Why? Because <laughs> there's too, there's too many tracks that are scoring seven, seven and a halfs just i have said at the start, it's, there are flaws in it, and there are flaws in it, but the highs outweigh the lows massively. But it's not as perfect as, say, uh, Women and Children First.
0: Opening album sleeve notes.
1: Yeah, so
3: um, as I'm not a, uh, you know, massive, detailed, super-duper fan of thrash, I thought um, I would go again on a bit of a journey and adventure. So, um uh, for a day or two, I um, looked at, you know, what were the defining albums of the genre uh, outside the, the big four. Um, I even went back to the very beginning and even considered an album by Venom, <laughs> uh, decided uh, fairly quickly uh, not to. I uh, listened yeah listened to quite quite a few you know i educated myself in bands like Exodus um, you know, bands that I've sort of heard bits and pieces of but not not extensively and then I, I came across um Overkill and um a lot of you know chatter and online reviews um about about uh, this album and um it sounded intriguing I put it on and uh, within about um Sort of half a minute of uh, this first track that we're now listening to, called "Time to Kill," I thought, ah, this could be one to consider because I, I, I took this what we're doing this this week for for Thrash as a honestly really wanting to be educated. I wanted to find an album that, that yeah you know, that really was full on, um, uh, really defined the genre, but perhaps perhaps had some interesting things to uh, to listen to. So as I first heard this album and skipped through it, I thought, yeah, this, this has got enough variation in it, um, but also enough anger and spit and uh, hitting you over the head with an axe. And uh, so I, I I settled on it. Like Flotsam and Jetson, thoroughly, and, and Testament, thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, and, and, it's, and it's grown on me. It's certainly, particularly um, uh, with, uh, was it Bobby Blitz, is it? Bobby Blitz's vocals, you you do need to be in a certain mood i've found but uh, if you're in the mood it's great
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> it is it is a, it is a great album i would i mean i've not heard i've not heard their entire back catalogue but then i haven't got time to listen to 19 albums or however many they've done and i know this is number four i mean they'd set the bar quite high with taking over which is their second album. Um, and of course, don't forget they're from the east coast they're not they're not exactly from the um from the thrash hotbed that is california so you know they're they're kind of out on a limb out there doing what they were doing born of the punk age and you can you know because they're they're formed in as you said i think it was 79 or 80 and there's still still an awful lot of punk feel to to what they do which which is fantastic and we'll talk about the absolute star of the show which is sid found the drummer at some point i mean he's he's off the scale, as far as I'm concerned, utterly underrated. This is, a, it's a really, really good album. In terms of production, it was the best one they'd done to that point. They'd used a boat called Terry Date, and there was a lot more intricacy went involved. They were apparently in the studio for two months doing this, which is, you know, it's like two years in um, in the in the lives of most thrash bands You just get in there, do their shit, and then fuck off. These boys were, were working hard at this, and... Um, and the evidence is there. It's a really well-produced piece of studio work. Very punky early doors. Tracks like you know, The Time to Kill, certainly Elimination I Hate, kind of right in their wheelhouse, really hard and fast and sharp. And um, as someone mentioned earlier, the, the, the breadth and um, the thought is is kind of bottom heavy. It's focused on side two as much as side one. Um, this album gets better as it goes on. And it's a really good piece of work anyway. I really, really like it. Except for, and before you come in, Mark, you brought it up, Rich. So I'll, I'll I'll echo what you said, Bobby Ellsworth, the singer. It's um, I just can't help th- feeling that Steve Souza and David Wayne have had a love child, and this is it. Because I'm just thinking, I don't know what I'm thinking. Exodus, I'm thinking Metal Church. I can't get either out of my head. And um, I've but, I've just
2: written down
1: Metal you know,
2: Church, Exodus and Anthrax.
1: But these boys were here first, you know, and let's face it, we were talking about, you know, I mean, Joey Belladonna, you know, he's not a great singer, but anthrax are one of the truly great bands. So it goes back to what I was saying about Eric AK. I echo that with um, Bobby the Blitz Ellsworth. It's, it's that sort of thing. But that aside, a really, really good piece of work and heavy enough to satisfy any, you know, dandruff clearer. I,
2: I kind of felt like, it, Richard, you, you'd gone and you'd look for a band that were actually three bands in one. Because because that's what overkill are. Because like Steve, I went, God, that sounds just like David Wayne from Metal Church. Sounds exactly the same. And then and then you've got some of those chord progressions and riffs, and you're going, This is this is Exodus now. This is yeah, it's almost like they've gone, right? What are the best element? I mean, and you're right, Steve, they were you know, they predated all of them. So, but I'll tell you what, I loved this album. Absolutely loved it. From the moment it started. I mean, it's not perfect by by any stretch. And I'd never heard any overkill before in my life because of the cartoon covers, usually. I just thought, oh, my God. Well, if, if a five-year-old's driven, drawn their cover, what's the music going to be like? So I just kind of went, well, clearly that's not for me. So, um, And I've missed out, clearly. I'm not sure what the other 18 albums are like, but I'm going to do my best to go through some of them. But I think, for me, and you know, at, at the risk of opening old wounds and pouring salt in them, I actually prefer this to... Flotsam and Jetsam, but I think that's because it is probably, if you averaged it out in beats per minute terms, I think it's slower. And I and that's just me. That's not that's nothing to do with the musicianship because Doomsday for the Deceiver is is an astonishing piece of you know work technically. But yeah, um, I, I really, really, really like this album.
3: It's interesting what you say about um, Bobby's voice, Steve, because uh, well, we'll come, we'll, we'll talk more about. Um, one track later on in the album, when he does actually sing, and I thought, my goodness, you actually you've got a really good voice. What one point I wanted to make was, why do they do this super howling? What, what does anybody know why it's a, 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 a? It seems to be a thing in, in this genre that they don't just do the scream, they do the ultra falsetto. You know, it's like you know, Nigel Tuffman goes ah. You'll still be hearing that one, and it's, it, it, he's doing that on helium, isn't he? <laughs> and I don't know why I don't know why they do it but anyway it, it, it appears to be a feature and, and uh, I, I, I couldn't help thinking what this album would be if he actually did sing over the top of it
2: but I, I think that's that, that's a really good point but, but this is true of so many bands isn't it so if you think about th- these guys but also Slipknot right Slipknot Corey Taylor has gotten absolutely beautiful voice you know when he's singing melodies it's like angels but it but they but there's that whole kind of you know roaring guttural sort of whatever five finger death punch are the same they've got a singer who can sing but they choose to kind of you know do this roar and this is true as well it's it's all done at at the very limit of their vocal range isn't it and um Mm. now i don't know why either it's because the, the, this album is better when he's singing.
1: I mean, this 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 is a band like most of those. Well, like yeah, like most thrash bands, you know, they've got a very hardcore fan base, as you know, and you know, not huge in terms of numbers. Although, you know, their record sales are pretty good. But you know what they do first up is generally what they're going to stick with, and this is how they perform from the start. People love their shows. Um, they love. That, I mean, we're listening to a track now. I hate, which is um, you know a, a real fan favorite. Again, very punky. Again, it's you're seeing Ellsworth's voice. It's not changed yet at all, really. And um, if I'm if I'm marking this album as I'm contractually obliged to do, as I keep saying, it will suffer for Ellsworth singing, which is a real shame because musically it's um, it's fantastic. And this was this was the band at their finest in terms of personnel this was the band at their absolute best with um as i say sid Falco, i just he's just an astonishing drummer grossly underrated and of course bobby gustafson on um on guitar who was um this was his last album i think he, he i think megadeth were after him if you believe what you read and certainly i've heard quotes that suggest that was the truth and he was but anyway for whatever reason he didn't join megadeth but he fell out with this lot and buggered off um, and they lost a really good guitarist, as we're listening to now.
2: But he um, he also influenced um, Dimebag Daryl, didn't he? Yeah,
1: yeah he did. There's a
3: there's a couple of tracks on this album where it's just you're right, okay. That's yeah, that's Pantera, that's Pantera. Yeah.
2: And it, it was it was the gu- guitar tone as well, wasn't it? That that he was yeah. after. And also, I, I'm sure I read that Pantera hired Terry Date to produce Cowboys from Hell based on the production of this.
1: That's right. Um, that would make sense.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah i find that interesting do you so steve do you do you have a problem with metal church as well then for the same reasons
1: yeah exactly absolutely i think they're an outstanding band i love everything they do musically and um you know the late great david wayne was definitely a a weakness as far as i'm concerned yeah that's just how it was same with exodus i always preferred paul Baloff to steve Souza, but you know that's just how it is you've always got you've always got a voice you can warm to haven't you you know, we've got one to come, you know, we've got Testament to come, yeah, with Chuck Billy, which is, again, a voice, on of, 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 a very different voice. But, you know, there, there are there are voices you know, like Eric AK's voice on Flotsam and Jets with Flotsam and Jetsam isn't everyone's cup of tea. I get that. But for me, it just works absolutely perfectly with the band. You know, there are people who think James Hetfield can't sing and by definition he probably can't. But it doesn't matter. It's absolutely what he does is absolutely spot on for Metallica, isn't it? Same with Mustaine with Megadeth. Belladonna Anthrax, you know, it, 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 the fit is right. With this, I, it's just always been a weakness. <laughs> I've always thought that's all. You know,
3: we, we listen to "I Hate You" right now. I mean, this is this is punk Iron Maiden. I mean, this is, this is almost Johnny Rotten singing Iron Maiden. This song.
2: The vocals do hold a band back, and I think I think you know, if you use Iron Maiden as a, as an example of maybe an influence for this. I think Iron Maiden were struggling with the same things at, around 1981 that you know that um that arguably people would say held back overkill because you know the, the vocals are Marmite. Well I think the vocals for you know Paul Diano couldn't sing by by yeah, you know, by a classical definition, he couldn't sing. Same's true here, isn't
3: it? it'd be interesting when we get to the song where he does sing, because I think he can is it the style is it is that that's what is needed in this uh, kind of you know genre of music um, i don't know discuss be interested to hear our listeners views
2: i do also wonder how how their creative decisions around the, the the sort of the brand hold them back as well because you know i made a glib reference to you know the the album cover looking like it's been drawn by a five-year-old uh, if if you're already into Overkill, you don't give a toss do you. You're going to buy the album because you love the band. You've heard the band. you like, you know, they do what they say on what it says on the tin for you. But if I'm going through shades, you know, in Covent Garden in 1980, whatever, 1988, um, and looking through the album racks for an album that looks interesting, because I bought loads of stuff based on the album cover from shades back in the day, you know, I'm going to flick straight past this because I'm thinking, well, the, the album covers shit. So the album's going to be shit, which is superficial and shallow and all the rest of it, which I completely accept. But actually that's how people make decisions. So if they'd had, yeah, you know, this is 1989, you know, the, the, the world's moved on, you know, Metallica have, have just finished Justice, about to release the Black Album within a year um, with a very sophisticated album cover. You know, Megadeth have been churning out really good album covers. You know that are kind of grown-up al- album covers, and here we've got Overkill and Flotsam and Jetsam pl- plying this sort of very rough and ready artistic trade. I don't get it. I don't. I don't understand why you make those decisions as a band because it has to hold you back.
1: But I mean, but wouldn't you look at this and think, well, that's really interesting? I know it's childish, but this is going to be this is going to be heavy, and it? it's going to be childishly heavy. <laughs>
2: No, I don't think I am. <laughs> I, but with, well yes, I probably am, Steve,
1: but but they are more childishly heavy.
2: And that's great. That's great, isn't it? If what you're after is something that's childishly heavy. But this isn't childishly heavy. This is not good heavy. But yeah. I don't I just don't get that kind of at what point did the band sit down with this album cover and go, Do you know what? I think you've I think you've nailed that. I think you've got us in a nutshell artistically there, thank you very much.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Because
2: that, if I'd been in the band, that wouldn't have seen the light of day.
1: (laughs) Right, now we're moving into a really interesting phase of the album, aren't we? Which was something I don't think they'd ever done before, which is a track that's lasted about half an hour or something. Well, are you getting Black Sabbath? I'm getting Black Sabbath. Totally,
3: totally. Totally.
1: Yeah. This is, for those who can't hear, what we're hearing, this is playing with spiders going into Skull Crusher it's a I mean interesting doesn't do it service it doesn't do it justice it's more than interesting it's um but it's a real real sabbath opening to it um before it gets seriously seriously heavy and I mean heavy as in doom heavy and I like I like Ellsworth's voice a lot more at the start of this well when it goes into skull crusher before it revs up again um and then some really exci- exciting sort of tempo changes to come it's a, it's a it's a well, it's a stumper.
2: It's a giant, it's a giant track, isn't it? It really is. Um I mean what I'm interested in, Richard, is you know, you you have done all this, you've done the research, you've you've kind of landed on this album. So Steve has some knowledge of it. I'm in exactly the same shoes as you are. I've never heard this album before in my entire life. You've you've found some of what you've been listening to hilarious in terms of trying to decide which album. A week on, how do you feel about this album now? And and the genre now?
3: I feel I need to give it some more attention. What what was good about this album and the more I listened to it, the more it confirmed it again, was I realised that variety is important in, in, in an album in terms of in terms of styles and you know the the old adage it, it's not about the notes, it's about the spaces between the notes. What's the standout about this track by the Skull Crusher is again that the, there's some the changes in tempo and it's got a bit of air. And I, I, I like tracks that have got at least a little bit of air. Um um so I think yeah I will I'll con I will continue to explore it and hope i come across a few more diamonds
1: you've got to accept that we love heavy metal and we and we love the heaviness of metal in many many aspects and um, if it's done well it's astonishing and when bands like this do it well that's astonishing and when bands like this don't do it quite so well and it's not astonishing you don't hate them for it you just think that's really kind of just not worked for me at all and you move on but it's 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 such a it's such a punch bag kind of music such a soft target um it's a marmite thing isn't it you love it or you hate it and i just don't accept that you know we're going to come on to an album in a minute which i'm quite indifferent towards well how can you you know you're allowed to be indifferent towards a thrash metal you, you either hate it or you love it don't you but that's not the case you've got to accept thrash for what it is it's it's way beyond the cliche of you know just pure speed. In many many cases, yeah, there's the speed metal out there, and some of it's pretty average, seriously average. But you, you've still got to give it a go and give it a listen. And if you didn't, you wouldn't come across things like this. And bear in mind, and I say it again, this is this is a this is a band with punk roots back in the day that have done five tracks in the time it takes to finish this. So you know they've evolved colossally over a period of time. There's so
2: much stuff in the wide spectrum of subgenres that that make up this type of music. There's so much that is ordinary that you just feel, I I think it's impossible to feel indifferent about this music. You, You feel one way or you feel the other, but you can't feel ambivalent about it. It's impossible. Whereas there's an awful lot, you know, poison wannabes, motley wannabes, Metallica wannabes, who are entirely ordinary and unremarkable and not, actually worth the investment of the 48 minutes or whatever it is that it takes to listen to their product these people these this band you know flotsam and jetsam testament they're not going to change the world but you know you you will feel something from listening to them whether it's negative or positive and i think I, I think you're right steve i think you know um what i learned listening to flotsam and jetsam and this is that you need to give it time you need to spend time with albums like this to hear the stuff that's going on underneath the machine gun riff at the top.
3: Mm. Skull Crusher could have been on Paranoid, couldn't it?
2: I was going to say, I was going to make a joke and say, uh, unfortunately, this track is is nineteen years behind its time <laughs> um, because it could have opened Paranoid. You know, here we are with Birth of Tension, um, which is also, I think, you know, very much got. Its roots back in 1977,
3: 78. Yeah, it's, um, uh, this is fairly, uh, if I'm remembering it right, fairly one dimensional, isn't it? It, uh, it just belts out for four or four, five minutes or so. Although, although the, the double bass in it, the, the yeah. double bass in this bridge is just how, how the hell can his feet go
1: that fast? I know, oh, yeah, amazing. And also, it, 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 again, there was. It's not it's not playing straight down the line hardcore, is it? I mean, there is some there are some breaks and different things in it. It was the it was, I was thinking it's 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 the hammerhead of this album, but just not quite as good. You know, I like it a lot.
3: On who turns the fire, I just prefer. I, I, I think it makes a, a song richer where the the singer is is actually floating and and singing that actually singing longer notes over a. a over that bed of, of, of everything else, so yeah, I, I yeah, quite like this track because of that.
1: I am just getting start the fire. I am getting Mel Church. It's the vocals, isn't it? It is. It is the vocals. It's great after a while, the voice, it, 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 and until it's, until this great redeeming feature, which is the last two tracks.
2: But you are right, Rich, aren't you? He he's 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 more measured. I, I keep coming back to that. It's it's when they're more considered, these bands. I think they're better.
3: I mean, I'm all for the speed and all of those, but I suppose we, you know, are we introducing another factor into what makes a great album in our Hall of Fame? And that, that is that variety. It's all right to have, you know, in this genre, all right to have a few or most that are absolutely in your face and 300 miles an hour, uh, but actually there, there needs to be a, a balance.
1: I, it's again it's it's all going to come down to songwriting isn't it because you know we're we're not young lads anymore who just want to go and go to a gig and you know go down the mosh pit and bang our heads to whatever's being played up there you know you you need to th- you need to think your music through and the older you get the more you do so when you get when you come across albums like this and i've not played this for donkish years and this to me was a reminder of a band to bit like mark really i'm not scarcely given any attention to over the years just remembered you know I was aware of the album as I said i played it a few times and got it in the record on vinyl um wouldn't have touched it for years and um and, and returning to it just hey, it takes me back but it just reminds me of um you know what musicality there that, that was that was out there you know and, and it's also made me want to go and listen to some more of their stuff because as I say I've got enough to bloody choose from with 19 albums out there or something but the musicianship,
3: the, what, what amazing musicians these guys are.
2: There's thought and, you know, consideration and musicianship and there's melody and harmony and, you know, and, and it is easy to overlook it if you're not prepared to give yourself over to it as we've had to and um, and actually review and and assess these albums on their merits rather than on our perceptions.
1: And it's not—it's not just as you recognise it. I've just noticed that it was ranked number ten on Loudwire's top ten list of uh, thrash albums not released by the Big Four. It evolves as an album. It starts off quick, fast, hits you hard, um, and once you're begging for mercy, then you come into um, to the, an outstanding couple of tracks to finish with. I mean, yeah, Richard can talk you through this because he's obviously been uh, chomping at the bit. This is the uh, this is the title track, best part of eight minutes of. A side of overkill that you know, bit metallica esque in a lot of cases. But you know, if you're going to if you're going to nick ideas off anyone, nick him off the best.
3: Yeah, there's some real you know structure and build, and there's mood, and there's light, and there's dark, and I, I, I think it's a absolutely cracking track.
2: There's, there's Spanish guitar,
3: <laughs> yeah. yeah,
2: and it doesn't. I mean, and the reason it's amazing, actually, apart from the musicianship, which is more than accomplished is that it's not predictable. It doesn't go where you think it's going to go. Exactly. I always love that. I love it when a track surprises you. Because I'm expecting them, the first time around, I'm expecting them to just suddenly put their foot on the gas and go.
1: Yeah,
3: that's uh, yes.
2: And they don't. If your stock in trade is fast, hot riffs, it takes, it takes some faith, doesn't it, to to do this put it on an album and trust that your fans are going to get it
1: yeah but it takes balls i mean we're, we're coming up to the 3 minute mark and you know while for old is like us, that's time to go and have a wee as you say but for for the hardcore they want to be um you know now now we're good to go but it's um i i just think it's um i just think it's really classy songwriting
2: but they're not just going are they they're, this is a metallica riff
1: yeah, absolutely it is. Yeah, yeah.
2: I mean you put James Hetfield's vocal on this that <laughs> yeah. that would be out of place on the black album.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. But they're not they're not the first band and they won't be the last, you know, nicking little ideas off, you know, one of the greatest bands has ever wore the place of planet earth, so, you know. Yeah, the the um
3: the Tell there are some pauses between our uh, <laughs> our sentences here between the three of us because we're sitting and listening to this track and actually listening to it and we're listening to it and we don't quite know what to say because uh, I'm just just gonna just give me a minute just give me a minute I'm just gonna listen to this next. day yeah. hey, it, it really it's it's the the structure of it it forces you to focus on it. It's great. Yeah. Now, if anybody's listening to this and. uh you haven't heard any overkill, um, then you could start this album by listening to Time to Kill or just put on The Years of Decay, focus on it as your introduction and then see how you go.
2: Yeah, I think that's really good advice. That's really good advice. It
1: it wouldn't be eight wasted minutes, would it? It's a a fantastic... You could sit here and just... Well, once, there's plenty of headbanging opportunities within it, but it's a, it's a great, great track. Plenty going on.
3: So, um, probably time to talk about lows and highs. PhD students of thrash metal.
1: What do you think? It's slightly paradoxical. If I was, if the weakness I think is who tends the fire because it's um, it's a little bit messy. And yeah. My high point would be "Evil Never Dies" because it's so nicely messy, which is kind of quite contradictory. I know, but it's very hard. It's hard to it gets off. To, it kicks you off with a beauty in "Time to Kill," but I would say "Evil Never Dies" is the is the best track off this album. It just excites me. It interests me.
2: Okay, so uh, it's it's evenings like this when I realise just how different Steve and I are. Because uh, "Who Tends the Fire" for me is one of the strongest tracks on the album. Interestingly. But I, I, I don't I, I don't think it's possible in terms of high point to go beyond the title track. It is immense. It's an immense track. And low point, there there are two or three on here that I think, you know, ultimately we'll see it slide down the um the hall of fame. But I think there's a reason why the band has never played nothing to die for live. It's the meh track on the album. So there you go. What about you, Richard?
3: I think probably Birth of Tension is the one I I couldn't really still, you know, get too enthusiastic about. And then in terms of the high points, I I had the biggest smile across my face listening to Skull Crusher. And, and yeah, I think The the, the Years of Decay for me is the, the standout track. Uh, on the album but having say having randomly discovered this it's been an absolute hoot <laughs>
2: <laughs> so there we go overkill the years of decay is a, a surprise hit well maybe not a surprise for steve but I have to say that when you announced this, Richard, my heart sank. I went, oh, for fuck's sake, not another week where I've got to listen to some shit that Richard's come up with that I don't like. But actually, thank you, because I'd never have discovered this on my own. Okay,
3: so we now move on to our last album of this episode. Um, As we always do, we play the albums that we select in uh, chronological order. So we've gone from... 86 to 89. And um, now, um, amazingly, um, Mark Norman has discovered the 90s. Uh, and uh, he's uh, bringing up the rear with uh, an album from Testament called The Ritual.
0: Opening album sleeve notes. Well, so as uh,
2: as, as we start this odyssey, um, through some of America's finest thrash, um, we have got uh, Electric Crown, which uh, is kind of a part of a double uh, opener with Signs of Chaos. And I bought this album. No, I didn't buy this album. I got this album I, when I was working uh, for the BBC, and uh, we used to get loads of albums came in because obviously, um, you know, the, rec- the the radio pluggers would be kind of sending you stuff all the time. And uh, everybody knew that I was I liked my metal. Um so any any of this stuff that came in it always kind of ended up in my pigeonhole. So one day I came in to work in Luton and uh, and found this album in my pigeonhole. Um and I thought, okay, um I'd never heard of Testament before. Um the album cover didn't have any cartoon drawings on it. So that was a good start. Um, and I remember getting in my, uh, and you'll remember this, Richard. I remember getting in my, my, the first car that I had really bought for myself, which was a, a red Ford Escort 1.8 injection with a multi CD changer in the boot. And, um, which was a bit of a faff, to be honest. <laughs> putting, <laughs> putting CDs in the boot was a, looking back. It was state of the art at the time, but not anymore. So anyway, I put this on and, um, and they were well it blew me away first of all because I thought well this doesn't sound much like Thrash actually this sounds a bit like Metallica Um, and then as I went through the album um, I thought this is great this is great, this is great and then for some reason um, I didn't pick it up again for years and years and years and then when we got to the point last week where you 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 boys and uh, we were talking about what we were going to do this week for Thrash I thought I went through a whole load of stuff, probably a bit like you two. I went through Pantera, I went through Exodus, I went through Exciter, uh, and none of them were quite doing the spot. And then suddenly something in the back of my head went testament. That was, I seem to remember that was a really good album. And uh, last Tuesday night, after we finished recording um, the last episode, episode five, um, I, I, my family had gone to bed, and I just sat in the living room in an armchair with my headphones on, and put this on, and I had just one shit-eating grin on my face for the entire fifty-five minutes that this album lasts. So, this is a band formed in uh, Berkeley, California, started in nineteen eighty-three. Their classic lineup includes vocalist Chuck Billy, Alex Skolnick. For me, they are the band that should have been so much bigger than they actually were because there's loads of hook lines in this they've got just riffs that you could eat your dinner off and they are absolutely on it this is their i think their fifth album and this is a band that have truly found their sound truly found their direction and i have absolutely no fucking idea why i haven't played this for so long over to you
3: um, I, I, when I was making the notes for this, I said, "Did, did, I, said, i i never heard uh, this album, and I was trying to think, had you ever played it to me?" And when, when we had uh, sort of music sharing evenings, I couldn't remember. Then, was, then I was thinking, "Well, how, how did I not buy this? How did I not discover these guys?" So yeah, it, it's, um, it, it's been, well, what a what, yeah, fantastic introduction. And they, yeah, and with with them, I did go back and listen to some of their earlier stuff. And to start with, I was thinking, has Mark met the brief? Because this was about thrash. But if um, then, if you say, well, this this doesn't meet the brief, then neither do Metallica, neither do Megadeth. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know whether it was off the you know the back of the black. Album, but the early nineties, there was there a almost almost a, a next wave of, of of sophisticated stuff in this genre. Discuss,
2: Steve. What do you think? Because you referred to your when we were talking about Overkill a little while ago, you you slid in the slightly provocative phrase. We're going to listen to a bat to an album that I am quite indifferent about.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Uh, indifferent, maybe, maybe it was the wrong choice of word. I don't know. What I would say is that um, even Testament fans are split on this baby because th- their first four albums were very different. I'm a big, big believer in the legacy of their first album, which was a monumental effort, and the following three were very similar. So you thought, well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But And it will not broke, but they fixed it, and they turned out this thing, and it's a... Uh, um so we're in 1992 so you could sense you know they were going to do something different would it be a bit grungy well not really there's no evidence of that in it this is a straight down the line it's what you were saying rich this is a heavy metal album as illustrated perfectly by um by electric crown and it doesn't actually get better than the first two tracks but we'll come on to that later but and i quite like it i quite like this album and to me that's not an emotion that's not a word you should really use for a for a heavy metal album it should be fucking incredible or fucking shy and it's neither of those things it's just quite. it's a quiet album there's plenty of doom in in this album but you, it will evolve later big riffs lots of big riffs but it's all rather i was i mean the, the word is commercialized too strong a word because it is it doesn't feel particularly thrashy it's not a bad thing um, and there are plenty of interesting songs on here. Die Hard Testament fans um, will tell you that this simply does not compare to The Legacy, um, and I get that. But that doesn't make it a bad album. Far from it. No, um, it I think there's a time. lot of good stuff on here. I think we've got an absolute superstar in guitarist Alex Skolnick. Um, not a big fan of Chuck Billy, but it's a, it's a good piece of work. It's a good piece of work. Is that lukewarm enough for you?
2: I think that's interesting because... I think their first four albums were I mean, a bit like Pantera? Really, Pantera's first two albums they were a glam rock band, and suddenly they they turn up with I can't remember what the third album was now, um, but they, you know they suddenly turn up with this kind of these monster riffs and Phil Anselmo on the on vocals, and it's like, oh well, Jesus Christ, that's not the band, that's not the band I heard last week, and this is the, this is the same. But I, I think you are wrong actually about the first two. Songs being the high points of the album, I think it gets better as it goes on. As evidenced, I think, by Deadline, particularly. The Sermon, I think, is brilliant. Agony, as the season's grey, and we will get to those in due course. But I think it, that is a really interesting point, that it's not a thrash album. So so as Richard said, anything after Kill 'Em All is not a thrash album.
3: I would say I'd put, I'd put this album probably between Metallica and Megadeth. Yeah, um, yeah. It's still all in. The, it's still all in that genre. I, you know, obviously, yeah. I, I I really like this because it's at, it's at that end of the spectrum. There's yeah. there's I, I I would commercial. They probably they probably were aware that you know wanted to yeah. You know, did they want to make more money? I don't know. Possibly. I don't know what was they were driven by. Um, you know, this is this is post the black album. Did they? Did they want to make their music more accessible? I would, I would say perhaps more accessible than uh, commercial. Or actually, yeah. did they feel freer to to actually uh, put down on on record, you know, the, the music that represented all of, of what they were influenced by? And I think this is where, where things like you know where. You know, particularly Metallica for me. The, the, the more they, I think they just felt freer and freer and freer in terms of being able to do what the hell they wanted. And, and did that act then as an example to other bands like like Testament, who thought, well, okay, well, let's let's go into the studio and just just see what we can come up with. I, I don't know.
1: It's those blurred lines as well, isn't it, between um, where does seriously heavy become thrash? Because this is seriously heavy. I mean, there's some seriously heavy stuff going on down here, and it's. Um and to that end, doesn't even doesn't matter what you call it, does it? Mm-hmm. It's bloody heavy um, in a lot in, in a lot of places, and whether you want to call that thrash or not, I couldn't care less. It's a heavy metal album at its very heaviest. That's kind of underscores what we're saying. I mean, it, it is what it is. It is different to the stuff they did before, definitely. And I think they had an idea of where they were going. I don't know whether they kind of persisted with it or whether it worked for them. There's an awful lot to like about this album. Um, If you see it it on its own as a standalone piece of work and forget what's gone before, which, I mean, I'm not a Testament fan as such. I just appreciate the stuff they did before. And, yeah, I like this. I like this a lot.
2: I do kind of get what you're saying, though, Steve. And I think probably one of the reasons why I abandoned it for so long is because there is a bit of it that's a bit one-dimensional. I'll give you that. You know, there's not as much going on in this as there was going on in, particularly in in Overkill, um, but also you know Flotsam and Jetsam. So, know yeah, this is all about the riffs, really. It's not, yeah. Te- technically, it's not as good an album as the, the the other two that we've listened to. Is it easier on my ear? Yes, it is. If I'm being absolutely honest, although although I, you know, I, as I said, I loved um I love the Years of Decay, but yeah, I suppose. There are only a couple of songs where I've got an earworm from them. Yeah. And and I suppose I can see what you're saying in that some of it is a bit forgettable. Some of it you you can listen to it and think, yeah, that's great, that's great. But actually if you try and recall it an hour later, yeah. it's actually quite hard.
1: I couldn't agree more. And you know, you know what the word the word that sprang to my mind when I thought of that when I was listening to this for the umpteenth time was I, I thought lazy. I thought lazy was the word that came to mind because I, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you for why. If you like the first riff of the album and don't mind it being repeated, then the ritual is for you. Because seriously, if you if you take out all the intros and the fiddly bits and you just play the first five seconds of the first riff of each track, there's a theme. There's a template here that's working for them, but it is quite samey. It is.
2: And, and I think if you, if you accept it for that, and, and you, as you say, you judge it, on its own merits, without the expectation—I mean, I, you know—on on all sorts of levels, uh, I can't. I don't really care what Testament fans think about it because that's not how I'm listening to it. Yeah, you know, if it, if it doesn't quite do the job for them, you know I, I get that, but it's not going to influence the way I score it. I would happily listen to this over, you know, over and over again. Maybe not back to back the way I have done this week, but there is absolutely nothing on this album to dislike. No, it's solid. It's, yeah, it's a solid album. There's not a lot on it there where you go the opening track or the opening track, Electric Crown, you just go, Oh my god, that's amazing. But you're right. You know, they've they've got a recipe and they're gonna serve it up to you, you know, eight or nine times on the album. And as long as you accept that and you like it, as you say, this is an album that you're gonna love.
3: I mean fantastic riffs. Just you know, head splitting. Yeah, you know, like the second track, so many lies. It, but both the first two tracks had uh, both had a great groove to them. And so many lies was all, almost a bit sad but truey. I felt, and then um, you know, let go of my world. That the, the, the third track, I, I I thought that was there were elements of the cult to that. It that was like the cult met Metallica. I thought
1: <laughs> that's a band I'd go and see. Yeah. <laughs> we're now onto the uh, onto the title track and it's um it's a brute isn't it it's just it, it's a driver it's a long one it's just heavy pure heavy
2: so what is it about chuck billy that you don't like steve
1: well his voice has definitely evolved throughout the ages and it's just not uh, you know, he's, he's definitely up from the is the james hetfield style guy but just not quite as good i mean that's that's all it is it's just um there's no great tone no great variety to it no great anything to it it's just it's just a voice i'd rather listen to um Eric A.K. and he's not everyone's and it, you know singing being a quiet taste. I just think it's um it doesn't excite me quite samey. Me
2: and what do we think of Alex Skolnick?
1: I love him to bits. I think he's an outstanding guitarist. I think he's an absolute genius. I think he was he a student of Joe Satriani or something. So he's and um, I think yeah. I mean his his record over the years is phenomenal. All the great he was inspired by all the greats. You know he loved Schenker and Van Halen and people like that. Yeah, genius. He holds this album together. There's no two ways about it. His guitar playing is um, off the scale.
3: Uh, so I'd, I'd a quick whiz through the earlier stuff. I get the impression it, it his guitar playing really came to the fore on this album. And again, because I, th- I think it was given a bit more space.
2: Yeah, there's there's space on this album, isn't there?
1: Yeah, you'll hear it. You'll hear it. I mean, we're gonna, we're going to come into um, deadline in a minute, where um, which is. It's, it's not one of my favourite tracks at all. It's an, it's an attempt to go sort of two paced in it, but it's Skolnitz guitar solo is the kind of redeeming feature, and and I'll, I'll say that more than once on this album.
2: I mean, th- this was um, produced by uh, Tony Platt, wasn't it? Um, who'd worked with got all sorts of people, you know, ACDC. He'd worked with um, Motörhead, I think, as well. I'm sure he was a sound engineer on a Zeppelin album. Um, or maybe more than one. So, yeah, they have got um yeah, he's a British British producer and yeah, he's been around the block. He's an experienced guy. I, I think he gets the best out of them on this, doesn't he? Musically, technically.
3: I think it's really well produced. It's um
2: there's a lot of depth in it. It's quite rich.
3: And we we'll we listen to The Ritual at the moment, um uh, again the, this this what this reminded me of, and I don't know whether there was much of a, a grunge influence coming in on, on, on this album, but th- th- this this has got real elements of Alice in Chains to me. I mean, Dirt was, uh, their, their album Dirt was a favourite Alice in Chains album of mine. Dirt was released in 1992 as well. So I I, I sense there's you know, there's some, that, that, that grunge influence coming in at, at times in this album as well.
2: Yeah, I, I, I hadn't thought about that. But yes, that would have been about the right time, wouldn't it? But I wonder if that was, is that a conscious thing on this album or is that just a natural progression of where they've got to? Because when was Nevermind? Was that 91?
3: Yes, I think 91, yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, and, that, and that was clearly going to rock everybody's boats, wasn't it? Yeah, and did. Kind of kind of killed the genre, really. So um, So we move on to Deadline now. I love this track. This has got a relentless riff running through it. I mean, it's exactly the same riff as on Electric Bell, obviously, but nevertheless, it is absolutely relentless. I don't know, it's it's got, like you say, this album's actually got a really good groove to it. Yeah. Is it going to be at the top of the Hall of Fame? No, not in a million years, but there's a huge amount to like.
3: This is a great album to have on the motorway, (laughs) maybe slightly breaking the speed limit, on full blast, at night. It's... One of those kinds of albums. If you're on a, this is the kind of thing you want. Of if you've got a big long drive,
2: how can you not love this riff, Steve?
1: I I, I don't dislike it. I don't I don't dislike it any any less oh, no. than the first time I, I heard it.
2: it. I didn't say you did. How can you not love it?
1: Yeah, no, no, no. I I quite liked it on on all the previous tracks as well. So yeah, oh, no. I, I, I I genuinely don't mind it. Skolnick's bailing it out again. We're at that point again. Another guitar solo to die for.
2: Oh, he. he I mean, for me, he he is this. He is the album. You know that I, I could sit and listen just to listen to him play for fifty five minutes. I think it'd just be yeah. an, an awesome experience. Actually,
1: I mean, there are some good songs on here. One or two that are you know close to great. Um, but there's there's just a high abundance of of filler, or you know otherwise kind of slightly less inspired moments that's all i'm thinking it's 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 hard to quite put your finger on it because it, it kicked off to such a stunning start but then you kind of felt maybe that was the maybe that was the point it was um what what you were hearing on track one you're about to hear again in different shapes and forms further down the line but um yeah which is why i like electric crown so much as a track and i'd say that, that, that we're going into a breadbasket of quite sort of ordinariness now as we head towards the back end before um, the real highlight which is the ballad which um, you never thought you'd say that with a testament album but you know as so I say in your car
3: belting along but yeah the comment one of you made earlier about that, there are memorable riffs um, I, I disagree with Steve about the repetition um, I don't think I don't think it's just the same riff over and over again I think I think um, what there isn't is something that absolutely lodges some earworm in your head um, that, that you're just you're, you're going around and it's and it's in your head all day. And I think that goes for the these first few tracks on side two for me. They're good. I really enjoyed listening to them. Um, but if you ask me to recall them, um, I'd, I'd struggle.
2: See, I see, I wake up or have woken up this week. Several mornings, with with the um, chorus in this the sermon, oh, okay, um, evil, evil poisons taste like wine. That is in my head all the time.
1: Okay, yeah, it's very blackout, isn't
2: it? Yeah, and that might be why, because actually, it just it just it's it's that sort of break and then back into the riff and then the break and then back into the riff. Mm. And I love that. You know that for me, that is just I, I can listen to that. All day, all day. Yeah.
1: When was the black album? About them? 90, like... Ninety. Yeah. Yeah. You, you can you can hear its influence in this yeah. big time uh, of you know what? Not I, just... Yeah, I, I
2: think Testament have probably got I mean, I, I don't know. I've never spoken to the band. I'm second guessing it. I think they are they were a band who I think were very close to being commercially very big. And I think they probably took this direction to see if they could actually just you know heave themselves over that line and get on a roller coaster um and I think I think you you can hear the black album throughout this absolutely throughout it and that's probably why I like it because I think yeah with a bit more fiddly bits twiddly bits bit more in- innovation in it Put Hetfield's, um vocals over the top of it, and you've got perfectly decent Metallica album here. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think I think this was obviously a a conscious decision to try and hit a commercial mass market that would take them to a stadium level existence, and it never quite happened for them.
1: Mm. Yeah, and it went downhill fast after this. I think their next couple of
2: albums are pretty awful. So um Yeah, I mean there's no doubt that they paid the price, didn't they? They they abandoned the pure you know, the the purest view of what they should be doing. They've they've bet the farm on commercial success and reaching a new audience, and it hasn't quite worked, which seems strange given that they're signed to Atlantic. You know, they're stable mates of Overkill, you know, uh, label mates. Um, and 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 Atlantic haven't backed... Well, Atlantic haven't thrown money at them. They haven't made it. And now it's... Uh, the next album, I can't forget the name of it, but but I listened to it. The next album, it feels like they're low. kind of going... Sorry? Low. That's it, Low. Um, you know, it feels like they're kind of going a bit cap in hand back to their fan base and going... was kind of sorry
3: really
1: yeah Um, but and also got a bit messy they all tried to get a bit of new metal as well didn't they and they they were trying to blend the two and it was just i don't think it worked at all and there was evidence of that further down the line as well in demonic as well i don't think um that the yeah this was this was this was the apogee of their um of their fame as far as i'm concerned think any better than this um
2: but I'll tell you what, they do sound like they're having the time of their lives playing it all, don't they? It would be a lot of fun mm. to play live this stuff.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah.
2: So here we are, the ballad, with a capital T and a capital B. <laughs> I mean, the, the thing is, thrash bands do do these really well. It's almost become Metallica's signature, hasn't it, to be able to, do the, to have that light touch. They did do
1: the odd power ballad. They, they weren't, you know, unused to them, but... um I like this one a lot. I think um, I like I like Billy's voice more in this. I think it's um, I mean hard, you know, Testament fans will never agree on it, you know. Is it Testament? Isn't it? Who gives a toss? Um, <laughs> it, it, it's but it's 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 an epic again. Solnick holds it together on more than one occasion. But yeah, it's a it's a sprawling track. I really like it.
2: Um, let's do highs and lows, Steve. Let's get the bad news out of the way first. Let's start with you.
1: You, you won't be surprised to know it's a sea of sevens because that's kind of what this album is. But either side of that mark, I do like this. I do like Return to Serenity. That would be my starter. And as, as the album drags on, I fade with it. So therefore, Trouble Dreams, the back marker, it's the same riff. So, you know, I shouldn't have been surprised. And it's a, quite a predictable end to, to an album that, you know, is, 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 is it's good. <laughs> and that's it.
3: Okay. Richard? Yeah, no, no, massively low scores. Uh, I, th- I think probably the the weaker ones for me are probably the the, the starter side too. That season's grey and agony. Return to Serenity really like. Actually, I think the the track I've enjoyed most and I'm going back to is is so many lies for that groove. For that, I, I it's got such a fantastic groove about it. Um, so um, you really enjoyed that.
2: That's interesting that that's my low point, so many lies interestingly and I think my uh, well my my high point is is the sermon um which is, I just think is uh, yeah a bundle of fun with you know served up on a delicious riff and um, that's the one I've been waking up you know with it in my head. so yeah, that's my highlight
0: reviews complete initializing rating process
2: okay so there we go. Three albums, uh, rated, reviewed, and now ranked. Um, And it's time to reveal the scores on the doors for these three albums that... We bundled under the title of Court in a Mosh. Um, first up was this evening was Flotsam and Jetsam's uh, Doomsday for the Deceiver, the debut album from 1986. Steve, this was um, your album. Do you want to talk your choice? Do you want to talk through the? Uh, do you want to talk through the
1: scores? Mm, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, unsurprisingly, I scored it very highly. Um, made no secret the fact that I love it to bits. Um, And I scored it 8.38 in bits and pieces, um, which was very high. Um, Mark scored it 7.3, Rich 6.7777 and all the bits. um, For a final score of 7.5 on the money, um, which in terms of where I would rate it, it's um, the second favourite of the, well, I say six albums. It's not, is it, because one of the albums was, one of our weeks was a, Sort of general selection week, wasn't it? So we've chosen five each, really, haven't we, thus far? Um, and that's second of my second, the second favorite of the um, of the five that I've selected. Absolutely sit happily with that. So far, my scoring is absolutely faultless. Um, and I'm quite happy with what I've done there. I've given a rare 10 to um, Hammerhead, um, which anyone who listened earlier won't be surprised by. Um, so we'll start at the bottom. Rich, you were you were the least effusive, shall we say? Yeah, no, I, I, it's
3: I enjoyed it. I, I I still enjoy listening to it. Um, but you know, when I when I sort of think about again, the, the point about this is um, track by track, um, and I you know I felt you know things like sort of with Fade to Black, and ULSW, Der Defura. Yeah, you know, they they were all right. I'm tears. It was all right. Um, I mean, yeah, you know, sixes and six and a halfs so is not 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 low scores. Um, and yeah, I, I it's. I think again, as I said, this is probably you know this with overkill, which I scored you know a little bit more. We'll come to that in a minute, but slightly similarly, um, are uh, getting towards the extremes of, um, the music that I, um, emotionally, let's say, enjoy.
1: Okay. Mark, couple of eights in there, but, um, mid range, 7.3 overall. Fair enough.
2: Yeah, I think that's, that's about right for me. That still makes it, you know, an above average album. Um, and I, like, like Richard, I, I enjoyed it. And given that I played it, the, the last time I played it was the first time I played it. Um, and I didn't get all the way through it on that occasion. And the fact that I have, you know, lived with it for a week and played it sort of uh, many times over, I think, you know, that seven point three is is probably a good two and a half, three marks higher than I might have expected to when you announced that this was the one that you were going to bring to this week's party. So yeah, I'm quite happy with that. Really, yeah, it's about where I'd expect it to be.
1: Okay. Um, so, shall we fast forward three years? And fast was the operative word tonight, wasn't it? And, um, yeah. Rich, do you want to talk us through uh, overkill and the years of decay? Scores on the doors.
0: Yeah. So,
3: um, it didn't quite reach um, uh, Fossum and Jetsam's overall 7.5. We got 7.41. So, I mean, <laughs> very close. Um and um, yeah I think well the the scores are a bit a a bit closer um, between us weren't they so Mark Mark scored it an overall 7.8 you Steve a 7.6 and I scored it a 6.8 so a little bit more than Flotsam and Jetsam I mean uh, for me uh, sort of six and a half a dozen between between those the the two albums um, enjoyed listening to them both Um, we'll listen to them again um, I, I need to st- listen to some more more thrash, um, but it, yeah, it, I, I think I'm quite happy with with how I I scored them. I mean, Mark, you, you scored it slightly higher than than the Doomsday album. I mean, any reasons for that, or is it just how you I mean you allocated the scores to the songs as you saw them?
2: Uh, yeah, I allocated the scores as I saw them. I preferred, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is slightly ridiculous because actually um it, it, if we took away the uh the the decimal points um we we'd all be scoring and rounded it um we'd all be um we'd all be uh uh scoring at a seven and actually there's not point naught eight five one nine so eight hundred of a hundred thousand of a point between these three albums so uh or sorry between our scores so you know in the end um yeah i i I preferred it if i had to take one away to a desert island it'd be that one uh one of the two but but yeah i mean you get a piece of paper between these can't you
3: it was quite funny when when i announced on our whatsapp group that i'd decided to, to select overkill your response mark was oh dear god
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was. But I'm so pleased.
3: And Steve, so you um, you scored uh, what a seven point six?
1: Yeah, it was. Um, well, I've just I've just quick totted up my uh, the fifteen albums that we've done so far. I've ranked seven higher, seven lower. This is the midpoint, and it's kind of had that sort of a feel to it, it as an album. I thoroughly enjoyed um it's not blazing a trail towards the uh, the top of anyone's list, but it's um it's a really i mean you can tell of my scores i've given i've dropped under seven with just one track, nothing over eight point five it's kind of it's all in that range and it's um it, you know it's a right solid piece of work and I'm seeing that with us all really so uh, yeah the the score is just, 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 just tells us what a what a what a solid piece of work it was. Yeah, good listening. Hi, highly worthy of consideration. Hey.
3: And then, Mark, um, let's talk. Uh, you're going to talk us through the the scoring on uh, the ritual, then.
2: Yeah, so I think this th- th- this is the one that um, that polarised opinion, really, isn't it? And um, uh, so, Steve scored this at a. Call it a seven, six point nine five, um, dead on. Six point nine five. Uh, Richard, you scored it a seven point two, dead on the money, and I scored it at a significantly higher eight point two, um, to give an overall average album score of seven point four five. Um, so you know that's not bad at all, is it?
3: No, no. no of these three albums, I scored that the the highest. Um because I think just again, just in terms of my in terms of my personal preference, and an album that I would uh, go back to, or you know the old, the, the, the classic choice of uh, right, you got you can only take one of these to a desert island. Um, I I I, I, I as it stands, I'd, I'd choose Testament. Let me listen to some more thrash metal and see if that changes. <laughs>
2: So what does that mean then for the albums in terms of their place in the Hall of Fame? Of course, at this early stage in the process, they all get in. But as uh, as we go through, uh, some will drop through the trap door uh, of the first of the top 100, certainly. Um, But for the time being, what that means is that with Flotsam and Jetsam, Testament and Overkill in that order, they occupy... um, uh, consecutive places in the Hall of Fame. Flotsam Flotsam, and Jetsam come in at uh, number 10, 10 in the list. Testament coming in at 11, and Overkill coming at 12. And I think um, the interesting thing here is going to be with 0.08 um, of a point between them, it's going to be interesting to see whether they actually ever get split up wherever they happen to be in the list because they are as close... As, as ide- to identical scores as it is possible to get i would suggest
1: oh I, I can i can see them being split up if only by the evidence of tonight so we went into it with van halen's eponymously titled debut album in ninth and um phantom blue built to perform in 10th with less with 0.28 between them and they've been split asunder by not one not two but all three albums that we've done tonight i think you're going to find in fact, I know you're going to find that you can see how many albums are around that area, and we're going to go through loads. Um, and I'm sure that's going to be that kind of seven and a half, seven point six. 7.6. That's where a lot of albums are going to be, I would have thought.
3: Yeah. Richard? Yeah, I
1: agree. Yeah, I mean,
3: we're currently, listeners, we're working to five decimal places in our a in big spreadsheet, um, which we thought itself was overkill. No pun intended, uh, but but um, yeah, we might have to move to more than that. There <laughs> we go.
2: <laughs> and you 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 made the point, didn't you? While we were um, while we were because I think it's worth people knowing that we don't know how each other has scored this album until we finished talking about the albums. So um, as we were talking through the scores, um, you made the point, which I I, I think uh, I would probably agree with you, Richard, which is. I, you said you would rather spend the evening with Phantom Blues built to perform than any of these three, and yet these three have all gone in above it. Yeah. Um, I think I'm probably with you on that, actually. Um, but you know, that's that that just I think underlines the, the the integrity of the marking, doesn't it?
3: Well, yeah. Well, it's back to if 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 I look at my scores, um, I, I scored uh, Phantom Blue higher. Um, but but we're talking about the, the the scores of us three and I think that's why that makes what we're doing fascinating and fair because it's it, it's that that collective view of the three of us and I think you know, people are starting to see how we have got different tastes between the three of us in terms of the kinds of subgenres we prefer um and so it's that you know combined with, um, a consistency of album. And again, once again, the the, the scores that have, have, we, we've ended up with for for these three albums tonight have, as much as anything, been defined by the weak tracks. Yeah.
2: I'll tell you what, though. Um, at, at the end of, or beginning, I think, of episode two, I said... Um, I asked you, was anybody else surprised that, you know, Highway to Hell at that point was in fifth place? Um, you know that that Highway to Hell now sits eighth, and it looks, from the way that the last two or three shows have gone, or last couple of shows have gone, that that actually, you know, it's, I think it's going to be it's going to be quite tough. It's going to be quite tough to make the top ten of this in the long term.
1: Yeah, we've we've already got, I mean, eighteen albums down, and we've got six into the eights, and that's that's a pretty high level of scoring if that's allowing for three of us and you know our own preferences and the our own idea of a weak track or two, which all of these albums all have to, to some degree or other, um, which are going to bring them down. But so for sheer consistency to get in effect, it doesn't quite work out like that. But over eight from the three of us. Um, those are high scores. Those are those are those are big numbers. If you're getting up there, you're um you're a you're a seriously good album. And as so long as we're um you know I don't doubt the three of us will stay honest with the yardsticks we use with the scoring that we use. Um, and we're all happy with the as you say the integrity of the scoring system. Then um, yeah, I mean highways ahead on seven point seven three, and it's you know, it, it's going to be a long way down, isn't it?
2: Yeah, and those you know, just to run down those six albums at the top that have scored eight or above, um, you know, we're talking about some some fairly well. You, you might argue about the band in six. I'm you know, I'm sure Richard would, but yeah, you know, the top six as things stand um, are Led Zeppelin four at the top, followed by Machine Head, Deep Purple, then Moving Pictures from Rush in th- at three, Women and Children First, Van Halen at four. Judas Priest, British Steel at five, which, to be honest, I would have, I would have, after six episodes, I would uh, six, yeah, six episodes, I would have expected that to be further down by now, but it's not. Um, and then rats out of the cellar at six. So you know that th- that's now the benchmark for everything that comes next. You know, you've got to be better than those six. Yeah. yeah. And
1: um, the interesting thing. Oh, sorry. sorry, Rich. Go on.
3: We we have these past what three episodes though, Um, and I I think deliberately not necessarily not not chosen absolute belters because it would be so easy for us to say oh yeah well let's do let's do the best albums by Metallica Megadeth and Anthrax or you know or go big prog um, rock. um, so we, we, we have these l- l- last few episodes deliberately chosen things that are actually not necessarily – not not the, the big ones. Yeah. Um, but still sort out, out bloody good records. Um, uh, so, so I think that's – it's not surprising that the, that sort of top six or whatever haven't been affected yet. Um, uh, but what's been – fascinating and i think you know let's we'll, we'll discuss in a minute what we're going to pick for uh, for next uh, time uh, but it, it, it's it's been I, i'm absolutely loving this uh, exploration through rock music um and long may finding new stuff for one or two or three of us continue
2: so talking of uh voyages of discovery and exploration that brings us to next week just gonna leave a gap there so i can edit this um so what we're we gonna do next week
0: it's time to put the rock in a hard place opening the hall of fame
3: so that marks the end of this episode six of the sad men podcast hope you enjoyed it we've all been on a great journey of discovery over the last week and and this evening um and uh, please do give those albums a listen because um you'll have a great time and uh, if you're like me you'll have an amazing laugh um so uh, we should talk about uh, next time Uh, and for episode seven Um, We thought we'd stay, you know, fairly close to Thrash and uh, go for AOR, Adult Oriented Rock. At least I think that's what it stands for. Um, So um, we'll see whether any of us can stay in the uh, 90s uh, or actually we'll be slipping back to the 80s and the 70s again. We look forward to the next time.